A new era is unraveling before us, and Tangent is back with a new limited series in collaboration with NYU Shack Institute of Real Estate. Tangent unites real estate lovers, technology adopters, and passionate creators in an effort to improve our cities and our built environment. Join us every month to learn how PropTech innovators, academic experts, and real estate leaders are solving our present-day challenges. If you're working on a PropTech solution, a nonprofit, or a small business that make our cities better and would like your mission featured on our features segment, feel free to email us at tangentcommunity at gmail.com. And remember, stay curious and always be learning. Hi, welcome to Tangent. I'm Edward Cohen. And I'm Shami Weissman. On today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with and learning from Roger Krulak, CEO of Fullstack Modular, a modular construction and development company responsible for the creation of projects like Barclays Center and 461 Dean Street near downtown Brooklyn, which also happens to be the largest modular building in the world. Hi, Roger. Where does this podcast find you? Uh, hi, Edward and Chami. Uh, today I am uh, in Westchester, New York. Glad to hear. Westchester, New York, uh, one of the booming housing towns after uh, there was a slight escape from the city last year. Yes, pretty much anywhere outside of New York has been a boom for at least the short term. But New York is booming now. New York, New York is back. I can feel it New at York least. It's but... definitely on its way back. <laughs> Yeah, so so Roger, before we jump into your background and uh, full stack modular, can you give us and our listeners the 101 elevator pitch for modular construction? Well, I think, first of all, that the word modular construction needs a redefinition. Uh, the, re, uh, the word uh, modular construction applies to so many things. And in general, it's offsite construction. And sometimes that can be panelization or multi-trade racks. Um, or fully volumetric modular construction like we do. And uh, sometimes it can be made out of steel and sometimes it can be made out of wood. So I think that that's a hard answer. Um, and those are really, in my view, the way that the industry ought to be segmented. But all of it has the same goal, which is moving the inefficient process of the current creation of the built environment using construction methodologies to incorporating manufacturing and the economies of process that are created by using manufacturing as part of the way to create the built environment. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. So Roger, you uh, bought full stack modular from your former employer. And as a proof of concept, you built uh, at your factory in Brooklyn, the largest modular building in the world. But this has been years in the making. You have a tremendous background in commercial real estate development, gaining experience in the construction industry from a young age, and later running uh, mixed use and residential developments until one day you wondered, why isn't real estate doing anything truly innovative? And then you decided to buy Full Stack Modular. So walk us through this fascinating journey. So um, I actually grew up in the construction and development world, uh, family involved in it from a very young age, worked in lumber yards. My great grandfather was a carpenter, worked in the development process. So it's sort of been in my life and in my, my DNA from a very young age. Um, <laughs> additionally, I'm incredibly impatient, uh, so I don't understand <laughs> why people waste time. I don't like standing in line. I don't like, you know, waiting for something that could be done tomorrow and sitting in traffic is for the birds. 
and so <laughs> I've always tried to find more efficient ways of doing anything I can do, whether that's incorporating form technology in the way that you operate your business, or if it's you know doing things digitally that you don't have to do in person, or or what can you do and take from the world as it as it learns and incorporated it into your life and incorporating manufacturing into construction has always been logical to me. So, I mean, it totally makes sense to me how you're describing it, right? Like it, there seems to be some momentum around the adoption of model construction. So, so why now and what can we do to really push people to further education and adoption around modular construction? Great question. And it's, I wish it were a completely simple answer, but it is a little bit more complex than that. So the, the built environment is, is created at this point, um, either through public or private development processes. And um, that process is, for somebody who hates to stand in line, is the most inefficient process you could ever create with the hope that you're going to get more competitive pricing in the process. And that that is, a, that is an intelligent and a lofty goal. The reality is with the people and the ingenuity in the, in the United States, for sure, you don't end up with that. What you end up with is, is you end up with people learning how to intelligently game a system for their benefit. Uh, and, and so you don't end up with what you had hoped you end up with instead of an inefficient process that drives incredible time going through a process where all of the stakeholders are on different sides of our different sides and in different teams, hopefully trying to create the same thing. If you were, if this was a sports team or a military or like you would never do this. It makes no sense. We all sit on the opposite side and say, Oh yeah, you know, this is a win-lose situation. We're all going to sit around the table and figure out who's going to lose the most. It doesn't make any sense. So what trying to, to incorporate um, a solution where manufacturing is utilized, it also offers the opportunity to, to align the stakeholders early to be on the same side and, uh, and, and, and cooperate to meet the goals of the team, whether that's the program of the building you're building or the cost that you're trying to do it or the speed at which you're trying to do it or utilizing um, intelligent you know, system components so that you can create those efficiencies. And that requires a paradigm shift and it requires an entirely new process. And so my answer to your question, although it was long-winded, um, <laughs> is that the paradigm shift is what will allow this to catch on more rapidly. Diversification is the name of the game in business and in real estate. Neighbor.com can do just that for you. Are you a real estate owner or property manager sitting on empty parking lots or vacant units? Neighbor.com is a peer-to-peer self-storage and parking marketplace. Think Airbnb, but for storage and much easier. Neighbor.com is a revenue generating amenity you've been looking for. That's right, a low effort passive revenue stream. Diversify your revenue sources while providing a very highly sought after money making amenity that is self storage and vehicle storage. Neighbor partners with hosts like commercial real estate companies, small and medium businesses and homeowners that have available space and connects them with renters in their area that are looking for storage and parking. To list your properties and start earning money with neighbor storage, please email edward at neighbor.com. To learn more, visit neighbor.com or download the Neighbor Storage mobile app.
Do you think there's specific asset classes that are be better suited to adopt modular construction first so that then people could see it and then the rest could eventually catch up? Or is it the same all, all across asset classes and geographies, urban versus suburban? If you really want my answer, the world needs a lot of housing. It's a mm -hmm. huge problem. We can't meet the sustainability needs we can't meet the, the, the cost effectiveness. We can't meet the timing, the need of people talk in business all the time about total addressable market. Mm -hmm. It's endless. I mean, it really is just, uh, that's not the problem. Uh, the problem is, is how do we do this efficiently? And there are dozens and dozens of people working on it, uh, both in the prop tech world and in the construction world and in the development world and in the technology world. Still, at the end of the day, there needs to be a paradigm shift that says, here's our goal. Here's how we do it. How do we create mm -hmm. it? How do we operate it? I mean, almost no buildings today really do life cycle analysis. If you create a sustainable building that has zero carbon footprint, how much less is it to operate? I mean, I can right. estimate it. You know, there's billion dollar ESG funds all over the place. None of them are collaborating with Bullstack Modular to say, okay, we're going to test you know, I mean, we're working with NREL and they're doing some pretty cool stuff. And we've done some analysis with the Italian government on some stuff. But honestly, why aren't we measuring this? Because if you can build something that costs $10 more a foot, but if it costs 22% less to operate it, you're making money in four years. It's, 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 Absolutely. it's, just, a, it's just a silly thing. So we at Full Stack Modular and we as a society are ready for this. The market is endless. And the question is, is what's holding it back? And the reality is, is that our structure, both the capital market structure, the developers, um, the enemy, you know, is easier than uh, easier, easier than anything else. I mean, the process yeah. that they that that developers generally use is they never deliver a project on time and they deliver, never deliver it on cost. Yeah, I think I want to go back to so so many gems, uh, I don't even know where to pick, but I wanna go back to this uh, paradigm shift that you mentioned and also al more importantly, aligning incentives in the development process, in the design process, and also in the actual uh, construction and delivery of the project, because I think that's that's at the key of, of solving a lot of our issues. Um, so in terms of how you know the construction technology contact industry, just to give some, some context with beta, um, over uh, the second half of the previous decade, between 2015 and 2019, we've invested an estimate uh, of around $25 billion as an industry. Uh, the last couple of years, we're averaging around $6 billion annually, uh, according to some estimates. So, like you said, the TAM here, the total addressable markets, is in the trillions, and, and uh, you know, the cost efficiencies that could come with it um, are, are just staggering that you know, more people are not considering them. And, and I think at the core of this all, and, and what Shami was hinting at the beginning is the timing, right? Uh, it has never been more costly or more time consuming to deliver projects, right? Especially at scale, or even if it's a, renovating a bathroom, like you said, but especially at scale. So in terms of the most pressing issues uh, and w one that uh, Full Stack Modular is, is solving is, is uh, in the housing market, right? So let's talk about the housing crisis. How can modular buildings help alleviate that, the housing supply and affordability crisis? 
So, so I think this is, I want to go back to something that I said, which is going to give you your answer to the question, which is that, that the alignment of the teams associated with that are imperative in order to create the end result that you're talking about. So what I mean by that is that as much as people wish it was, modular application to the built environment is not a magic wand where you just like the like the thing you use on your Apple phone to fix your picture if you don't look good. It's not a magic wand that says, okay, now it's three hundred dollars and wave modular magic wand and now it's you know, now it's two fifty-seven. And and that's what everybody hopes for, which is ridiculous. But I mean, you know, I hope that I you know that some leprechaun jumps down from a rainbow and drops off a pot of gold in my front door too, but it doesn't happen that way. So, so what has to happen is, is you have to apply a process that allows you to create structures that are cost efficient and a process that incorporates the ability of using the economies of process that are created by manufacturing in a way that doesn't detract from value, that meets the market needs, that, that, that is, you know, compatible with the environment, that is safe, all of those things. And that's an effort so foreign to the design bid build process that that's really where the problem is. Uh, the rest of it is pretty simple. I mean, can you integrate new materials? Absolutely. Can you build efficiently? Absolutely. Do you build better in a factory that you build on site? One would hope so. It's completely controlled. All those things are reality, but what really needs to happen is, is you need to incorporate a process by which you're creating multifamily solutions that meet the needs of the people that are living in them and whoever's funding the development, both of those things. And that is an entirely different process. And that's how you solve the problem. Now, whether that's public-private partnerships or whether that's developers deciding that they're going to incorporate this into, which is why we're starting to develop our own, incorporate that into the process, you need to have a repeatable process that takes advantage of the economies of that process. In order to do that, you need to build similar things. They don't all have to look the same. They don't have to be all the same density. They don't have to all be the same but they still have to have components that are repetitive. And frankly, it's sort of um, one of the other problems that we've created in our sort of moving away from engineering and incorporating architecture as an art rather than as a science. Mm -hmm. we, we, we We have lost the understanding that repetitiveness is part of the multifamily process. I mean, you right. have to have egress in every building. If you have a make a multifamily building, you have to have elevators if it's above four floors. You have to have windows in all the bedrooms. You have to have yeah. bathrooms that are private in most anywhere in the world now. In most anywhere have, in the world. Most anywhere, not everywhere, but most anywhere. And, and I, by the way, I've looked at all of those sort of like, what if you don't have that? You know, what does that do to the cost effectiveness? But you have to have all those things. So if you add a few more parameters and can increase the efficiency, you can drive costs down. Great. Yeah, plain and simple. <laughs> uh, yeah, just to add some context there, the average price of a single family home reached $360,000 this summer mm -hmm. nationwide, which is an increase of almost 25% compared to last year. I mean, on, on yeah. one side, we have bidding wars from sellers becoming the norm in some markets with a lot of buyers overbidding for the few homes that are available for sale. 
And on the other side of the same coin, you know, more and more individuals are, are rent burdened, not being able to afford a place to live. So uh, we definitely should be implementing today or yesterday modular, modular techniques as, you know, as another tool. In the era of PropTech, renting an apartment is still a cumbersome experience and the tools that real estate owners have to manage the rental process are inefficient and outdated. Knock is a New York City-based PropTech company that provides residential investors and property managers with an end-to-end -end leasing solution, reducing costs and days on market by over 50%, while giving owners and operators visibility into their leasing data and overall performance. Knock is the all-in-one leasing solution you're building and your team needs, and the leasing experience your renters want. Renters can simply show up at your property, tour as many units as they want, apply and sign a lease, all within one platform and within a single day. If you're a residential owner or property manager and would like to learn more, please visit knockapp.co. That's K-N-O-C-K-A-P-P.co. I wanna I wanna dive into this uh, private public sector uh, or pri private public collaborations that you mentioned because. Uh, I think that's that's where the key of, of this whole uh, quote unquote clusterfuck lies. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. we we have to really align. Excuse my French. We have to align our incentives there, uh, and, and sometimes it feels like we're speaking different languages. So, how can how can modular really you know uh, help us uh, with with this part of the collaboration, which is the priorities on the public sector and the incentives that drives the private investors and private developers. So look, there are a couple of places in the world that have been pretty effective uh, at creating a public-private process by which there is collaboration to create solutions for this. And the two of them that I just point to right now, and they're sort of Singapore and the UK. So Singapore in 2014, they, they decided that they, they had no skilled labor. They were importing all of their workers. Their workers didn't None of them spoke the same language. They literally couldn't get anything built. And the Singapore's need for housing is is large. And uh, and they have um, grades of housing, you know, everything, mm -hmm. you, know, you name it. They have it's not just social housing at the bottom. They have social housing all the way up because uh, because mm -hmm. housing is so expensive and, and land is basically owned by the state. So they so they so they decided that they were going to require modular housing and they hired it an international panel of experts of which I was one in 2014. And we sat there for a month and literally did ideation on how to create a solution. They now have their multifamily construction at this point is done using what they call PPVC, which is a much better name, which is prefabricated, prefinished volumetric construction. And they built full, uh, 461D and used to be the tallest modular building in the world. It is no longer. Uh, they built two sets of buildings. One is a 40-story building, which they finished um, in 2018, I think. And then they built two 56-story buildings, which they finished uh, last year. And their industry is thriving. Um, and they, they have realized that you can use um, lower quality labor you can give them uh, living wages and you can control the quality of the work and it's been incredibly successful and not not every country in the world is you know is a city state like singapore and doesn't have the structure and government and land control um that they do at the same time 
the UK has a number of social housing programs that are focused on modular construction that have been incredibly, incredibly productive. One of them is that they are actually they were they were acting as VCs for startups that were creating a modular solutions uh, for housing, and they they actually invested in a bunch of startups. Whether any of them pan out or not, I can't answer yet. But at the same time, they also have been providing financing uh, for modular construction, and they've been providing sort of um, economic incentives for people who were utilizing that system of technology. And it has driven the industry um, and significantly. So there are lots of ways for countries to lean in, and in my opinion, in ways that are accretive to the end results. Um, right. What has happened in the U.S. for the most part is that a, that affordable housing and the truly sort of you know 40 to 60 percent of AMI uh, you know sort of uh, 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 housing is that the only way that those get built is if there's literally zero interest. Um, so you know bonds are issued by some government who has to put up their credit in order to create housing, and the mm -hmm. problem with that is the government's involved and not in a way that's really private, it's public. Mm -hmm. and, and once that public process happens, it moves at a snail's pace, if at all. And at the end right. of the day, right. the structure of, you know, 40 to 60% AMI makes the, the people who do it very well, and there's lots of them, you know, they gain their profitability, not through the creation of value in the real estate, but by fees for management, fees for construction. So mm -hmm. it's not a great model. It's not a great model. I'm not saying it's not it's not an achievable model, and I'm not saying it's not necessary. But there needs to be another layer of processes that have mm -hmm. potentially valuable real estate to to house all the people that work in their in their Absolutely. local areas that they in, in an affordable fashion that can't pay more than thirty percent of their you know of their total income and and all of that. And, and in order to do, there needs to be a process by which. You can get access to capital that you can get, you know, running factories isn't cheap, you know, and so yeah. and so, but it does bring down the cost of the of the housing at the end of the day, it just needs uh, the collaboration. And the other part of that is the developers, whether they be public or private, have to sit on a team and say, we want this to be efficient, we're going to yeah. come up with a new way. And there are yeah. a few visionaries out there, um, a few, but there's not mm -hmm. as many you know, as the world needs. Yeah, no, and I, I listen, you can be, no, in, in, super interesting answer. I think in terms of aligning the incentives, uh, who better than, than state capitalism in this case is what you're kind of describing of other countries and uh, the, the, the United Kingdom or uh, acting as a, as a VC, essentially helping streamline or at least sourcing the funding um, or at least aligning a vision, right, you know, may not be the, the vision that works for the US or for all the markets here, but in terms of setting up the vision, you know, uh, sourcing the capital and then also funding some construction technology bets, if you will, um, I think is, is the, the best way forward or, or gives us the best chances of, of finding a solution to, to really providing housing uh, at an affordable cost while also generating uh, the profits necessary, uh, you know, in, for, for the developers. Let me ask you something. If you were given a magic wand to rule over your city, what aspect of the place would you where where you live would you like to improve? Uh, well, I mean, I think I think the the process which we I mean, from my world, 
you know, the process, it's evolving as we speak, right? I mean, forgetting rideshare, forgetting the fact that, you know, there's electrical vehicles or pretty soon we're going to be flying around like George Jetson or, or, or all of that. At the end of the day, the government, the infrastructure that we've created, again, is hugely ripe for, for improvement uh, of process. And, and when I think about, you know, people ask why doesn't modular, you know, sort of what is holding back a modular process? And I explained to you that I think sort of the stakeholders need to be aligned. The mm -hmm. stakeholders that I left out are cities, uh, governments, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. their process. I mean, in all honesty, you can use, talk about construction technology, there is about 15 AI programs right now that you can run a set of plans that'll compare it to the current code in a basic city and give you an answer in two and a half yep. minutes as to all the things you should be looking at. And then you could have a human say, okay, I'm looking at all those things, there's the four and I should do it. And then, you know, in, in one hour can get back and say, oh, by the way, you should do these corrections. You, you know, but that's not what happens in most parts of the world, most parts of the United States, like that automation process, that collaboration process is not there. And the interesting yeah. thing about the modular industry, I mean, this is, I'm going to tell you something that's hugely positive about the modular industry. The modular industry is normally in most places controlled by the state. Yeah. And the state, the, the people who look at the plans for the state and comply with all of their code requirements associated with it are also the people that work in the factories of the modular manufacturers in the United States. So they see both sides of the coin and they are, incredibly efficient uh and it helps drive i mean you know in less than two months we were approved we'd never done a project in california we were approved for a project in california in less than two months uh i mean it's incredible uh wow. and it's because that process is organized in a way that is outside of that the, the inefficiency that that has been created by the morass of uh and there's so much room, yeah. so much room, and it would be good for everybody. And it doesn't have to change the amount of money the city's making. It probably will increase its, you know, increase its profitability. It just needs to move things along. Why should it take four and a half months to get somebody to look at a four-story building? And it just makes like it doesn't literally takes sense. five minutes. You know, it doesn't take yeah. any time. So, so no, and especially I, with I, AI, it takes two minutes. So, you know. I love it. I think we should we could end on that as Roger Krulak, the most impatient person in construction, <laughs> who's finally creating a sense of urgency here for everyone, including the cities who sometimes have, for some reason, less incentive to innovate. Roger, uh, last but not least, where can uh, Tangent listeners uh, find you and learn more about Full Stack Modular? Um, well, you can find us uh, on our website uh, at fullstackmodular.com. You can find me posting all over the place uh, and a uh, hundred uh, uh, places that I speak, but you can also uh, uh, find us in our factory in the Brooklyn Navy Yard and then our expanded factory in, uh, in Portland, Oregon. We'll definitely add the link to that. Roger, once again, thank you very much for all your uh, gems of wisdom and your uh, everything you do for improving collaboration and improving our development processes. Thank you. Thank you, Edward. Thank you, Shami. Thank you. This episode was produced by Edward Cohen and Shami Wiseman. If you like what you heard, please share Tangent with a friend. 
Special thanks to Sam Shandon and everyone at NYU Shack. Tangent's artwork was designed by Michael Lowy. Thanks for listening to Tangent and remember, collaboration is our superpower as a species, so stay curious and always be learning.